turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, the plan is, is I'm going to get make a few comments today about creation. Then next week we're going to talk about evolution and the six days of creation. And then come November, we're going to spend probably a month on the decrees of God. Uh, that's the last thing we have to talk about as far as God's acts, what God has done. And that's going to get into some controversy, by the way, way. We're going to talk about what God has chosen before to do before he even created anything. That's the decrees of God. Uh, we're, going to have to, we're going to have to flesh out some Calvinism and Ar- Arminianism and things of that nature. Uh, and then probably starting in December, we're going to start talking about the attributes. Not the acts, but the attributes of God. And uh, we're going to, Lord willing, have a great time talking about those. <laughs> And probably over the next six months after that, if the Lord tarries and if you all uh, uh, don't get angry and storm out, <laughs> uh, we will continue to do this. All right, so Genesis chapter 1, uh, we've been talking about the acts of God and uh, we've seen miracles. That's the extraordinary acts of God whereby he displays his lordship, manifests his lordship. Uh, which, by the way, if we define a miracle as such, the devil can't do miracles. <laughs> he can't display the lordship of God uh, in that sense. Uh, so we have miracles. Uh, he can do sign, lion signs and wonders, right? That's what Thessalonians says of him. Then we saw providence. That's the ordinary acts of God, whereby he just manifests his, his lordship. And creation, that's where... He has brought all things into being. And I like the definition that John Frame gives of uh, creation. Creation is an act of God alone. He doesn't have an intermediary. Uh, So he doesn't create a lesser being in order to create, in order for that being to create, like Gnosticism uh, teaches. And by the way, that's what Jehovah's Witnesses teach. Uh, To to a greater extent, their Arianism is also a form of Gnosticism. And Arianism, and I'm not talking about what the Nazis believed. <laughs> I'm talking about uh, the followers of Arius in the 3rd century, 3rd, 4th century, uh, were always uh, kind of borrowed their ideas of Jesus being a, a created being from the Gnostic categories, uh, the Demiurge, the... Uh, the uh, the something less than God had to create because God in platonic categories could not soil himself by, by creating. Um, and, uh, and Arius has always kind of tried to take those matters and, and make them scriptural, that Jesus Christ is a created being and, because, and it's built on those nasty categories. But God, creation is an act of God alone. He immediately direct creation that's what we believe as christian he directly created and it and creation isn't simply his providence of holding all things together as uh men would men would 
with Aristotelian ideas such as Thomas Aquinas believed about creation was simply everything depended upon his being for its continuance. Um, so right, that there is a sense in which that is true, but that's not creation. It is the cre- creation is an act of God alone by which for his own glory he brings into existence everything in the universe. Things that had no existence prior to his creative word. And we have uh, established that, I believe, in the last few weeks. We've talked about how it establishes his lordship, establishes him as the object of worship. And today we're going to pick up on this and we're going to talk about how it teaches us of his redemption. How it teaches us of his redemption. Salvation, John Frame starts by saying, is of the Lord. Now let's go back and let's read a little bit of the creation account. Uh, We're not going to read the whole chapters of Genesis 1, but uh, just a little piece of it. He says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and darkness he called night, and evening and morning were the first day. And then it goes on continue in the same pattern to talk about uh, the subsequent days of creation. Uh, since creation uh, is such a vivid revelation of God, John Frame says, talking about his lordship, we should expect there to be parallels between creation and salvation. Uh, and as we study the acts of God in creation, we know, we, 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 we can see these parallels. Uh, in fact, uh, Frame here says it anticipates God's redemption. And we see that more specifically uh, in God's redemption in other areas. Consider God's redemption, which, by the way, was brought forth after the applying of the blood on the doorpost in Egypt and all that. So it was through the the sacrificial system that they were redeemed. But looking at how God brought that together, we see parallels even there of salvation. Uh, In Exodus, God commanded the forces of nature. He, in creation account, he brought light into existence. What did he do in the account there in Egypt? He brought darkness into being as he gave them darkness. In creation, he divided the waters in the redemption of Israel and Egypt, what did he do? He divided the Red Sea. Uh, so we, we, we see those parallels in those acts of redemption. Uh, he made the earth to team with living creatures in Genesis. In Exodus, he, in judgment of, of uh, Egypt, he brought forth various creatures, gnats and frogs and flies and locusts. <laughs> brought them into being. And and, uh, he celebrated his Sabbath in Genesis. Uh, 
And what did he do after redemption of Israel? He gave them the Sabbath. In Exodus chapter 20, uh, verses 8 through 11, in the giving of the Ten Commandments, uh, they celebrated their redemption by keeping the Sabbath just as God celebrated the Sabbath in creation itself. In both creation and redemption, John Frame said, God displayed himself as the Lord of the earth. Creation, redemption, judgment are all similar events requiring sovereign power, authority, and the presence of God. Turn, if you will, to Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42. We see Isaiah drawing the same parallels between creation and redemption. Isaiah 42, 5. He says this. Thus saith God the Lord, He that created the heavens and stretched them out, He that spread forth the earth that we, and that which comes out of it, He that gives breath unto all people upon it, and the Spirit to them that walk in there, I the Lord have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thine hand, and will keep thee, and give thee a covenant of the people for a light to the Gentiles. The the parallel between creation and redemption drawn there by Isaiah uh, just a chapter or so over Isaiah 45 and verse 11 the same parallel thus says the Lord the Holy One of Israel and his maker ask of me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands command ye me I have made the earth I have created man upon it I even my hands have stretched out the heavens and all the hosts that have I commanded. I have raised, the, raised him up in righteousness. I will direct all his ways. He will build my city and he shall let go my captives. Not for a price nor reward, says the Lord of hosts. Talking about the effect, the, the Christ affecting our redemption for us and how this is connected with the declaration of creation as well. There's a parallel. So what are some of the things that we find in creation uh, that are parallels to salvation? Well, first, and I'll get these somewhere, we see that creation establishes his ownership. Creation establishes ownership and his right to redeem. We're already in Isaiah 40, in the 40s, but Isaiah 43, we see this very fact. And I don't, I don't want to belabor the point. But he says, But now thus says the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, he that formed thee, this is the first verse of Isaiah 43, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee. We see how, how his creation uh, gives way to his redemption. I have called thee by name, thou art mine. Establishes the ownership by way of creation and parallel the ownership by way of redemption. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee through the rivers, they shall not overthrow thee. So we have uh, God's ownership of all things in creation, both being 
both giving him the right over all things and the right and power to redeem, to buy back his creation. And we see that also in Isaiah 44, 21 through 26. Not only that, but we see that creation is described in covenant terms. That I read, I misspelled covenant, but covenant. It's described in covenantal terms. Um, Jeremiah 33, we see a parallel here between creation and the covenant of redemption. Uh, so specifically that given to the Israelites. Jeremiah 33, this is uh, around the realm where we start talking about the new covenant. But how does he couch this? Jeremiah 33 and verse 20. Thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant of day and my covenant of the night, and that there should, be, should not be day or night in the season, then may also my covenant be broken with David my servant, and he should not have a son to reign upon the throne, and with the Levites, the priests, my ministers, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered, neither of the sand of the sea measured, so I multiply the seed of David my servant and the Levites. So we're talking about the covenant of the law and the covenant given to David is mirrored by the covenant that God gave to day and night. Well, when did he give the covenant of day and night? We just read it. So creation is spoken of in these covenantal terms whereby we see the parallel between creation and redemption. God rules in all his creatures by calling them into being, establishing their function, said frame, and seeing that they, he maintain it. He is the power behind creation, its authoritative interpretation, and its faithful maintainer. So Jeremiah uh, speaks of creation be the covenant of creation being also a mirror to the very covenant of redemption spoken of by the covenant given to the, the Levitical and the Davidic covenant. And we mark there the comparison between creation and the covenant of David. That's one we specifically have interest in because that is our, our Lord that was, that was uh, covenanted to reign forever and ever. So... The scriptures also speak in parallel language. So we have not only this idea of ownership and the right to redeem, but the idea of covenant, and now also the terminology. When we speak of creation, we speak in the terminology, or in salvation, when we speak of salvation, we are speaking in terms of creation. Uh, Psalm 74, if you'll turn there. For starters, when it says, if any man be in Christ, he is a... All right, so we're already speaking in terms of creation, right? When we're talking about our salvation, we are, we are considered his new creation. So we see the... Uh, the parallel of the terms that we use. Uh, Psalm 74, uh, we, have, we have this declaration. I'll get there eventually, so I promise you. 
Psalm 74, verse 12, uh, For God is my king of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. And then he starts talking. Um, so he's talking about God as of old, working, and then he describes his saving power through Egypt, uh, through verse 13 through 17. Um, and then and then he goes on, so he draws the parallel there. And in the prophecy of the idea, Isaiah, God speaks of the one who created, we just read that, and formed Israel, and then the one that redeems Israel. We see how this is constantly the, uh, the refrain of the Old Testament. Now consider the New Testament. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We already saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, or at least we quoted 2 Corinthians 5, 17. But look how that's not the only parallel of the language. In fact, we constantly have this parallel of language. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6. And these, that's 1 Corinthians, that's why it looks weird. All right, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. What is he talking about there? What is that a reference to? God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Is that not what we just read in Genesis chapter 1? God commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Past tense there. That same God who commanded light to shine out of darkness has shined in your hearts. You see the parallel that is given. The, the, when we're reading about salvation and God speaking the light into existence, shining the light into darkness, he, we have that same parallel here. That he, to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So us coming to know Christ, not only a chapter later is talked about us becoming a new creation in Christ, but we see the terms of creation being used to describe what has happened. What happened to you when you got saved was the same thing that happened to all creation in that first utterance, let there be light there is a parallel in the language the terminology continuously fits and this is not the only time we uh, in if we just stick a little while on john uh, on uh, genesis chapter one uh we'll continue to see that same parallel continuously drawn john chapter one for instance uh we see um We'll go to a couple of places just to establish the parallels, and you could probably, and you can see other parallels. But if we could just establish this first day of parallels, I think that would be good. John chapter one verse four. We're talking about the Word. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Uh, this is establishing Him, Christ, as the light of the gospel to us. Fo following the statement. That he was, in verse 3, all things were made by him, and now he's also the light that lightens us. So we see the parallel there. God illuminates us to receive the truth just like he created all things, ex nihilo, and 
brought light into being on the very first day. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We continue to see this, 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 uh, this parallel of language. Ephesians 5. Where we are called this in verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness. You know what I was before I got saved? I was Genesis 1-2. Amen? You know what you were before you got saved? You were Genesis 1-2. For ye were sometimes darkness. But now ye are ye light in the Lord. And we have our, our declaration, our imperative. Walk as children of light. And we were dead in sins uh, in chapter 2 of this until God, by His grace, did what? Ephesians 2, just go a chapter. Uh, a chapter back, uh, a chapter or two back. Uh, we were dead in sins in chapter 1 of, of Ephesians. But now in verse 10 of Ephesians 2, we are His workmanship created. We continue to see the parallel of creation continuously brought to bear. And as we just quoted, there's no wonder that Paul made this, made this distinct connection that we in Christ are a new creation. So we'll always find these parallels. And this isn't the only, this isn't the only aspect that we can find the parallels. Uh, Genesis 1.27. Go all the way back to the beginning one more time. Genesis 1.27. What do we have? We have the creation of man uh, by God as not only as an even more direct act, according to Genesis two, than the direct act of creation, whereby He formed man with His hands and breathed into man. So not just a, not just a spoken command, let there be, but the direct and intimate relational terms of God. But here, what is he? How does this describe? It says in verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the, all the earth, and, every, and, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So man, God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So we have... God creating Adam and Eve in his very image. What happens to us when we're saved? Ephesians chapter 4. I hope you've kept your finger there in Ephesians, but Ephesians 4, all the way back to the New Testament, and in verse 24. And he, is, and he has put on the new man, which after God is created... After God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Colossians, just two books over, we have the same declarations. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. And we have put on the new man which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. What happened when I got saved? Genesis 1, 27 all over again 
a new creation of God created in the image of his very, the very image of his righteousness. Um, and that's, uh, this is the only place that this parallel is also given. Uh, we have borne Adam's image, so we will also bear the image of Christ. Uh, we see that in the resurrection example, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to 45. When this whole thing is completed, we're going to be raised in his image. Not just spiritually, a spiritual truth as we have now, but a literal truth where we will take on us the very image of Christ's resurrection. And uh, a new creation established a new community. We're no longer divided by circumcision, said, uh, into Jew and Gentile, but we're all made the image of God. So we have this language of the new creation. We have the language of ownership, the language of covenant, when we're swap, the language, uh, the very terms of creation used to describe what has happened to us in Christ. But we also have, in the image of our hope, is related to The, when we speak about our hope, we're speaking of this looking for a renewal of creation itself. What happened in Genesis chapter 1, which was soiled by sin in Genesis chapter 3, is through the redemption of Christ going to be restored. Romans chapter 8. And this gets into our hope of our resurrection as well. Romans 8. We're looking for a cosmic renewal of the original creation. Uh, we're looking for what? A new heaven and a new earth. Wherein, according to 2 Peter chapter 3, dwells righteousness. We are looking in Revelation 21 for that newness of all things where all things will be made new. Again, or as it says in Colossians 1.15, the reconciling of all things to God. Here in Romans 8, we have this beautifully portrayed. In Romans 8, verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creature, what is creation doing? It's waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who subjected the same in hope. Because the creature, or the creation itself, also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together, and not only they, but ourselves also. Every time my back hurts, <laughs> right? Every time uh, I'm looking for that renewal. Um, and... Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for what? The adoption, the redemption, not just of my soul, but of creation itself. See, we're, the, our hope is connected to this idea of creation as well. Christians would do well, then, uh, Frame says, to meditate on creation. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, go there. In a chapter 
which talks about the faith of the saints that went before us. This faith is connected to a faith in creation, in, in the creation uh, teaching itself. Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, it says. The evidence of things not seen. What does that mean? It simply means this. God has told us by His Word what is. We can't see it, but we believe Him by faith. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand what? Creation. We weren't there, (laughs) but we believe God created it because God has declared that He has created it. God has declared. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, that He brought into existence that which was not, not out of things which could be seen, not out of material means. It says, so things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And from there... We talk about the outworking of that same faith in Abel, in Enoch, in Noah, in Abraham, in Sarah, in Isaac, in Jacob, in Daniel, in David. And then it says at the very end, in us too, because they without us are not made perfect. The the story of faith is not yet told. So what, what do we have here? The, same, the essence of the same faith uh, that we find in, our, in the creation, uh, we find that same thing. Uh, faith is directed to the invisible. Uh, Abraham was trusting not in what he can see, not even in what he can experience, but in a God that was able to call those things which are not, Romans 4, as if they were. To believe God that much. To believe God even to the point going not going beyond the birth of Isaac. To, to believe I've, Abraham never saw one thing resurrected. But he believed if he took Isaac to that altar. that I, And even if he slew him on the altar. That he would walk back down the hill with Isaac. Alive. Whereby he. In Romans or Hebrews 11, received him in a figure. We believe in the God who is able to call all things into being and is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Do you have enough faith to believe he can forgive your sins? <laughs> right? Do you have enough faith to believe that he can redeem your soul? Uh, you, do you have. Oh, of course we do. We have, we have that faith because we believe he called everything into existence. And he, like the testimony of, of, uh, of Abraham, was able to call those things that are not, in Romans 4, as if they are. Uh, we're not walking by sight. We're walking by faith. we're looking towards that invisible God. We haven't seen God, but we trust Him. All right, so the illusion of where I've made reference, but there is the illusion of faith 
not the illusion like an illusion of, but the illusion of the words. Uh, faith is in him who creates ex nihilo. Faith is in him who creates or has the power of creation. I just made this illusion and I got ahead of myself. But Romans 4, let's look exactly at this great faith of Abraham and how it mirrors just as everything else has. This faith in a creator. Romans 4, verse 17. And what is it faith in? It's faith in a promise, verse 16. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be of grace to the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed. So we're talking about not just Abraham's faith, but we're talking about the same faith we have. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. That was the promise given him. Before him who... Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as those they were. He, I haven't seen the fulfillment of many of the promises yet, but just like Abraham, I believed him. <laughs> yeah. Believing simply God's word. We can't, we can't see it. We can't uh, wrap our minds even around it. I mean, imagine the faith here specifically. Uh, Abraham, you're old and your wife is old, but you're going to have a baby. And uh, you're going to call him Isaac. And, he, and I'm going to establish my seed there in Isaac. That's the same faith that took Isaac up the hill of Moriah too. But he was, he was like, no, I mean... No, but he staggered not at the promises of God. He believed in the one that creates. Because what, what do we have here is the very words that, that we, by which we can exp- describe our belief in ex nihilo. Out of nothing, he's able to do it. So we trust his word, his promise, even when we don't see the visible evidence of its fulfillment. That's what Abraham did. That's the faith of Abraham, the faith of Isaac, the faith of Moses, who saw him who is invisible in in Hebrews 11. It's the same thing. Uh, Creation assures us of God's faithfulness to his covenant. We saw that in Jeremiah. He has a covenant with day. So faith is the assurance as well. Uh, who am I going to believe? I'm going to believe that God, the creator of all things. Um, it establishes his faithfulness as well. Uh, he made a covenant with day and night. <laughs> and it hasn't failed yet. And no matter how bad things get, the sun will rise again tomorrow. Right? If the Lord tarries his coming, our faithful God has continued all things. He has kept his covenant with day and night, he has kept his covenant with man. The Noahic, the Noahic covenant has continued. We've had seed time and harvest. We've had cold and heat. We've had 
all these things continuing by a faithful God. And you and I sit here, trust that God, that he will save us completely and finally in the end. We have that same assurance. I, I believe I'm going to be saved in the end. Why? Because the sun keeps rising. <laughs> because I, I have trusted a faithful God who has kept his covenants. Uh, our help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalm 121. Our help is in the one who created all things. Uh, one of the amazing things about Isaiah chapter 40 is you get into this God as the creator, the sustainer of all creation, the one that sits upon the circle of the earth. And then it set, ends with that very song that we sing, Isaiah 40, 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up as wings as the eagles. That faith comes from that very, from that very God that created all things. The creator is faithful. And we have such assurance uh, in him. I, I think we've already, uh, he, he has another section about creation ex nihilo uh, and what that means. I, I don't want to spend too much time on this section because it's very heavy uh, as far as philosophy goes. Um, there are two things uh, that, the create, that the scriptures, he labors here to talk about how we really can't define what nothing means. Uh, and and for, let me do a little exercise with you. Close your eyes and imagine nothing. You can't do it. You're going to imagine blackness, darkness. You're going to imagine empty space. But all of those are something. They're not nothing. Once you try to define what nothing is, you kind of start giving it being in and of itself. Uh, nothing literally means nothing. And there are, two, uh, there are two ideas that the scriptures uh, in its doctrine of creation want to avoid or, or do avoid. And that is the idea that God created everything out of pre-existing material. That's what Hebrews 11 was dealing with. God did not create everything out of pre-existing material. If so, that pre-existing material would be just as divine, just as eternal, just as necessary as God. And that's not the way creation account is given. But it also eliminates the idea that God created everything as an emanation that comes out of himself. Uh, there is a sense in which he spoke, he commanded. Uh, and if all there was is God, then God just simply brought it to being by through his own mind and power. Uh, but this creation is not an emanation of God. Uh, it's not just as divine in that sense. Uh, so, the, so in the creation accounts, the ex nihilo accounts, we continuously have, uh, we, we can't really nail down exactly what that means. He gets into the meaning of the word bara. Bara, usually, us, usually the Hebrew word that is used for create in Genesis chapter 1, 1 is is almost always given without a reference to any material, whereby you could use another word, asa, which, which, which would talk about you creating something from this other thing. Uh, but the word bara is almost exclusively used all the time when it's talking about the act of creation. Uh, but even then, you're not going to always, um, always uh, come up with the concept of out of nothing. 
However, he gives three things real quick I want to give about uh, the creation out of nothing and why we infer this from the scriptures. Uh, we already looked at, he calls those things as not, as though they are. Uh, but just more than that, number one, why do we believe in the believe that A, he's not creating all things out of existing material, or B, he's not creating everything as an emanation of himself. Uh, but these three reasons, I'm just going to quickly give them so I can we can work on this on the six days of creation versus evolution next week. Uh, the scriptures speak of everything uh, oh my everything had a beginning except God turn to Colossians 1 real quick I think this is probably the best place to go but Colossians chapter 1 Everything except God had a beginning. And no, not everything needs a cause. The law of cause and effect says every effect has a cause. God is not an effect. God is the cause of all things. But Colossians 1, we have a litany of those things which are created by God. Um, and it's very instructive here. It's not just the things that we see, but it's the things that we do not see. In verse 16, for by him were all things. How many things were created? How many things began to exist? All things. For by him were all things that, were, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. So uh, we can't see the law of gravity, but yet uh, people like Stephen Hawking says that that's the cause of all things. No, the law of gravity is an invisible thing that God created, right? Uh, we can't see quantum fluctuations. It's beyond our eye. And someone will say, well, quantum fluctuations are forever. No, they're not. He created the invisible things too. He created the structures and the laws of the universe. Uh, so visible and invisible, whether it be thrones, dominions, or principalities and power, all things were created by him and for him. Everything had a beginning. Why do we believe in creation out of nothing? Because everything had a beginning. Everything at one point began to be with the exception of God. He always was. He's the only thing that always was. And there's no material out of which anything, there's no material uh, by which any of those visible or invisible things were made. He simply created and commanded them to be, and they were. So, as we've seen with it, creation is also universal. Everything in heaven and earth and the sea. This is a, everything began, had, had a beginning, and that's universal. There is nothing that is outside of that scope. Uh, that's what we just read in that. Everything in the earth, in heaven, in the sea, uh, all material can be used to make other things. So all material is itself created. None of it existed before God created it. So, and then there's number three, third reason. He created it as Lord. Creation, again, coming full circle, is about his lordship. It displays his lordship. 
He brings the world forth by the power of his command because he's Lord in creation, all of creation, whether we're talking about gravity, quantum fluctuations, or, or the heaven or the whole universe, material universe at large. He's Lord over it, over it, and creation teaches that. And it's not in any kind of Gnostic scheme. So uh, those first two points, everything had a beginning, and that's a universal uh, idea. There's nothing that is excluded from that. Tells us that, um, that everything is not... Uh, that it wasn't created out of pre-existing material. And B... Uh, and, and this third point that it displays him as Lord uh, shows that he is, it's not an emanation of himself. This world is not divine. You're not divine. Everything's not, not part of God. He is Lord over all creation. And by those, by those things, we, we surmise that everything was indeed created ex nihilo out of nothing by God directly from God as an act of his lordship and hence we have the doctrine of creation all right I went a little over I just wanted to go over that section I know it's a little I didn't want to spend too much time into it just because it was very heavy as far as philosophy and stuff like that but hopefully you got the idea of that Uh, any questions complaints grievances I always want to give you a chance to grieve if you want to grieve. <laughs> All right, let's go. We got about 10 minutes in before the next hour.